0: Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Well, today we begin our journey through the second half of the book of Ephesians, And Ephesians chapter four uh, hinges this book really on this one verse when Paul instructs this community that he planted and that he pastored to live a life worthy of the calling they've received. I mean, it is this epic, dense commission. And what he's saying is this calling, which he's talked about the previous three chapters. It says who you are. It says, now I want you to live a life worthy of that. And so that's where we're going to be shifting gears, not only today, but over the next few weeks. And if you are a part of our community, you you know this axiom we say quite a bit, that our vision as a church is to practice the way of Jesus. And we do this by three different things, by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. The first three chapters are all about being with Jesus. What he's done for us, there's, there's very little verbs in the first three chapters. It's nothing really that we do, it's something that we're receiving, it's who we are. And at the beginning of chapter four, it's that second point, it's becoming like Jesus. We are now being transformed. And then as the chapters go into completion, It'll be very much kind of do like Jesus did language, and I'm excited to get into that. And if you're someone who likes practical action, you'll like that as well. But, but today is about becoming, specifically uh, becoming mature. And so I want to take the next few minutes to talk about what is it in Paul's vision that is moving his people or desiring his people to move towards maturity. He's going to be using that phrase multiple times in the next few verses. And so with that in mind, I want to start uh, reading our text for the day, and then we're going to be breaking it down. So Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one, one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one, hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When He ascends on high, He took many captives and gave gifts to His people. What does He ascended mean? Except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions. He descended as the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, so what does this look like? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, There's so much in this passage uh, that we won't be able to cover everything, but uh, I hope you realize a couple things. Number one, the the context of this whole thing is picking up on chapters 3 and 2 where he's talking about how not only did Jesus come to reconcile heaven to earth he came to reconcile humanity into one uh, into, into really one new family and so he's he's continuing to talk about this idea of unity and he's saying that in order for unity to be accomplished we all need to step into maturity we all need to mature and and he says this really high vision of maturity because we have differing views of maturity in terms of this life and what marks maturity paul's vision for maturity is the full measure of Christ. Like, that's our view of Christian maturity. And I think we can all just be a little bit humbled today to realize we have a long way to going there. But it also does something in us to say, like, we, we have work to do. Rather, God has work to do in us so that we can actually reach that. And so here's here's a roadmap for today. Number one, we want to talk about what does it mean to have maturity in Christ? And then we receive the maturity really through three things number one through meekness through mending or the healing and through ministry and if you notice meekness is when we look up it's when we look at God and it changes how we see the world uh, maturity is through is through looking in it's something that there's something broken inside of us that is not allowing us to be unified it's not allowing us to be mature and then lastly ministry or service is when we look out is that our life all of a sudden like Christ's become an offering uh, for many so I want to just talk about uh, the kind of this roadmap, but but before we talk about how to get there, we want to define maturity. Uh, my my son Augustine, who's now seven, a couple years ago, we were visiting my grandparents at a nursing home, and he just walks around like you know any five year old was, and he just just kind of says what he's seeing. And he's like, "There's a lot of old people here," and I immediately kind of tuck him behind me. I'm like, "Hey, we, like let's not say that." He's like, "What? They're old?" And I said, "True, but." I'm like, let's find a different word. He's like, well, what should I say? I'm like, say the word mature. And he's like, he just kind of looks at me and I'm like, oh, try that. And so um, <laughs> we walk in and he sees my grandma and she's like, you, he's like, you are very mature, grandma. <laughs> and she says, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think historically maturity was attached to age. Uh, but in, in our recent time, Age and maturity is it's kind of a fluid thing. A couple years ago, New York Times came out with an article entitled, The Death of Adulthood in American Culture. And it began to outline some, some shifts sociologically that have been taking place. One of those psychologists used to define uh, the term adolescence from 10 to 18. And they have now expanded that from 10 to 24. And so the the technical term that is extended adolescence, so people up to their 24th year are still considered to be in adolescence. It's interesting, they pointed out that most young adult literature is consumed by people in their 30s and 40s. Uh, They pointed out that the typical gamer is probably not a 15-year-old kid in their parent's basement. The average gamer now is a 35-year-old male. You're a 35-year-old male not digging at you if you like, like video games. That just happens to be the average now. Uh, the typical young man before he's the age of 21 has put in 10,000 hours uh, into, into video gaming, which Malcolm Gladwell uh, pointed out, turns you into an expert um, of that thing. And so this, his understanding is called developmental theory, uh, is 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 really cause for a lot of debate? You know what's good, what's bad, what's just traditional things we need to do away with, but what really actually constitutes maturity? And Benjamin Barber, in his book Consumed, talks about how all of kind of the marketing world, it says much of the economy is working to facilitate a culture of immaturity in adolescence. And so we live we live in a world. I think it's so funny that is literally trying to extend adolescence as long as possible. I mean, we literally like have t-shirts now, like adulting is hard and stuff like that, and there's memes about how it is. And and granted, um, I get it. Uh, I, I became a dad at 22, I was married at 20, and so I entered into the adult space very young. And there's still so much that I feel like I haven't figured out. But I think there's, there's something that we have to be aware of in terms of our own cultural trend that actually wants to celebrate immaturity. maturity. When, when Paul is calling this church, he says, listen, because of what Christ has done, it wasn't for you to stay in your infancy. As a matter of fact, he says, that we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of who is, who is the head that is Christ. And so for Paul, he's instructing his church. He's just saying, all that Christ did was that you grow up into maturity in him. You wouldn't be tossed back and forth by different currents and thoughts and teachings and things like that. There's something of you that has to develop. Dallas Willard says that the most important thing about you is not the things you achieve, it is the person you become. And so I think for us, we have to take a good hard look. What are we becoming? Do you know? Do you have a vision of what the trajectory of your life is moving towards? Because for the Apostle Paul, to the letter to the Ephesians, he says, it's not up for debate. Our goal, if you are a follower of Jesus, is to achieve the full measure of Christ. And, and again, I know that that just seems almost impossible. And maybe that's the point. But we don't. I think there's this common language we have in our, in our culture that almost dismisses our growth and our maturity under the lens of grace. Like, ah, oh, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's okay. God knows my heart. Uh, we live in a highly psychologized. Uh, culture that wants to blame things on our parents or our family of origin. Like there's so, we live, I, honestly, we just live in a blame-filled culture. And, and although there are very valid things for why we are the way we are, and we'll talk about that here in just for a second, but I think for us, my hope today is that we would realize Christ is not content with us staying in our infancy in our spirituality. He's calling us into maturity. Well, how? How do we do that? How do we do that? Ronald Roll- Rollheiser says that real transformation of the soul will not happen at Disneyland, but at Calvary. And so if we want to reach the full measure of Christ, we must look at his life. We must look at what he calls us to do. So Paul points out three things in this chapter. So we kind of start at the end. Let's go back and let's look at three different themes that Paul is encouraging his church to lean into, and it's meekness, mending, and ministry. So the first one I want to talk about is meekness. The whole verse start, starts out by saying, he's urging them to live a life worthy of the calling they've received. And then he, he starts to kind of spell that out by saying this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Friends, we could stop the video right now and we have enough to chew on for weeks and months and years to come. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Um, if you've paid attention the last couple of weeks, we've actually talked a lot about humility, and Paul's talking about it again now. But he's adding to it. He's building it out. That he's talking about this humility is attached to gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. And there's, there's a word for this um, and it's this word, meekness. It's this idea that whatever power rights you have, uh, they live under a level of restraint. Uh, but keep in mind, um, in our culture, in kind of our altruism, humility and meekness, we kind of elevate it. But in the New Testament, it is never talked about in a positive sense, In like culturally speaking. It's talked about in a positive virtue within Christ. But outside the Bible, it's never talked about in a positive light. To be meek or to be humble was looked down upon within Greco-Roman culture. It meant that you lacked strength. And yet it was the Christian faith that began to celebrate this, not as a weakness, but as a virtue. The word meekness in the Bible, praus um, in the Greek, is defined as power used without undue harshness or more popularized, power under restraint. And so what does it look like for us to live a life maturing that first and foremost begins by looking at the level of power, influence, privilege that we have, the sphere of leadership that maybe surrounds us, and to ask ourselves the question, do we operate with that strength and with that power With gentleness, with humility, with bearing with one another who aren't as strong as you or as fast as you or as smart as you, yet you bear with them in love. Can you meet people at their level that may not be able to operate in the same capacity that you do? Matthew Henry says that meekness is calm confidence, settled assurance, and rest of the soul. It is the tranquil stillness of a soul that is at rest in Christ. It is the place of peace. Meekness springs from a heart of humility, radiating the fragrance of Christ. Uh, Jeffrey B. Wilson says, meekness is the mark of a man who has been mastered by God. Um, the, uh, this was not written, this um, text was not written just for men, It's written for everyone. Uh, but because today is Father's Day, I want to just take a moment. If you're a dad, you sit in a really unique seat that sometimes feels a bit confusing in terms of how do you lead with strength, how do you lead with confidence, specifically within a culture that doesn't really celebrate strength and confidence in the way that maybe historically it was, and and there are both good and bad reasons for that. But what I would encourage you is, um, if you could consider, and this is really the test of it, what does your strength, leadership look like specifically when you're stressed, specifically when you are facing pressure? Because oftentimes that's when we feel things come out of us that we, for the most part, do a good job just keeping kind of suppressed. Um, And so I would just encourage you as a simple exercise, when's the last time you just kind of like blew your lid, you just kind of lost it? And, and I want you to kind of sit in that moment, not not to drop guilt or anything like that, but just to say, like, Lord, um, help me identify what what's that stuff underneath? Like, what's that stuff that when I'm faced with fear or insecurity or when I feel like I'm not enough that um, it, it, it kind of manifests itself, maybe an, an erupting in emotion or it looks like overworking or it looks like these different things. And... And to say, Lord, I want to operate in complete humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. I think that all of that happens when we look at how Jesus has treated us, right? Uh, Maturity starts with looking up and then letting that kind of filter into who we are. The next thing that Paul talks about that I really think builds upon this, that we won't really achieve this idea of meekness in our maturity if we don't deal with this next thing. Verse 11 says that, Christ gave himself, and he talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, which is actually one one word in the Greek, to equip his people. That word equip in the Greek is a very fascinating word. Um, Katartismos is used mostly uh, within kind of ancient literature for mending broken bones. Um, It also could be used for mending a fishing net. But Paul grabs that word and places it here for the function of leadership within the church that should be doing for everyone, that there should be an equipping, a setting of a bone right, which means there's something broken. That before we can start talking about our last point, which is ministry or service or what we do, we have to talk about what's inside. That there's oftentimes something within us that has been disjointed and broken. And the reason why we can't operate in meekness, the reason why it's hard for us to put down our power is because we have been exploited. There's been something done to us. And so we operate disjointed or broken. And what Paul is saying here is that the church was given for the mending of our hearts, that we cannot enter into maturity without that sense of those things being put back together. So how do we do that? How do we mend the internal space of our own own world? Uh, First one I would say is uh, it begins with the Holy Spirit and it begins with the gospel. It begins with a God who moves and knows you deeper than even you know yourself. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with some friends who let me know of a new book that just came out by Mike Foster, who's, who's an author and a coach. She actually lives here in Carlsbad. And his new book is called Seven Primal Questions. And they're just kind of going on about this book and how helpful it's been within their marriage and their leadership team. And I think it's actually a helpful framework I had never heard before in terms of uh, how to become aware of areas that God may be wanting to mend in your life. And so, kind of how it works is that every single one of us is stamped with a primal question in our childhood. And that, that primal question we have as a child, now as an adult, you subconsciously are asking on repeat. And so, when, when the answer to your primal question is yes, life feels positive. But when the answer to that primal question is no, you start feeling what he calls the scramble. Scramble. And in that scramble, you attempt to force a yes through unhealthy means or coping mechanisms. And when the answer returns to a yes, life is good again. And so, and you might be like a bit confused right now, so I I wanna kinda lay out, he lays out seven primal questions that we are all asking as a kid. And these are the questions, am I safe? Am I secure? Am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I successful? Am I good enough? And do I have purpose? And as a kid, you are walking around and you're asking your caregivers these seven questions. And at some point in your childhood, one of those questions is answered with a no or a maybe. And that, that thing in you begins to mark something in your life that, especially if it's consistently answered with a no or a maybe, that as you move into adulthood, that question never leaves. And so you ask it at your workplace, you ask it of your spouse. So for instance, if you were in a a toxic environment where you did not feel safe, uh, as an adult you will in your occupational work, in your relationships, you'll constantly be looking, testing that answer. Am I safe here? And if, if the answer is no, you enter into the scramble, so you have unhealthy coping mechanisms, or you try and control, or you try and usurp, or you withdraw, so that you can regain that sense of safety again, and that's the scramble. But here's the opposite side, is oftentimes that primal question that was answered with a no as a child becomes what he calls your superpower. So oftentimes, the people who felt the least safe as a child have this keen ability to actually make people feel safe. And, and that's one of the ways you can identify maybe what your primal question is as a kid. Maybe, maybe you didn't feel secure in your home, but as an adult, you work hard to make sure that other people feel secure. But at the same time, when you don't feel secure as an adult, you find yourself in that scramble. And the reason I'm bringing this up is not just a commercial on a book, which maybe you should read it. It's really, it's really dense and really good. But for me, was, as I was thinking about what does it mean to be set right, is sometimes for us it's hard to be set right if we don't know something's broken. And so just asking ourselves a question, were one of those seven questions answered with a no when you're growing up? Am I safe? Am I secure? Am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I successful? Am I good enough? Do I have purpose? And I think what's, what's amazing is that when Jesus comes, and often what Paul's talking about in these first three chapters, is how Jesus comes to answer the questions with a yes that life told us was a no. This is what he talks about in the first chapter. You've been adopted into a new family. You have a new inheritance, which meaning that, that your new life in Christ gets to have something. So you can replace that question with a truth statement in Christ. Am I safe? And then the question the answer now is in Christ I am safe. Am I secure? In Christ I am secure. Am I loved? In Christ, I am I am more loved than I could ever know. Am I wanted? In Christ, I am I am wanted. Am I successful? In Christ, I am. Not not in the metrics and in the means of the world, but in terms of what He has called me into. Am I good enough? In Christ? We now carry his righteousness, we are. Do I have purpose? And in Christ, the answer is yes, we are his masterpiece created in advance to do good works. And so I just wanted to encourage you, if you specifically, again, if you're a father watching this, just to maybe take time, and again, seven primal questions if you actually want to read the book and do some more internal work. And there's lots of different tools. Whether It's Enneagram or Myers-Briggs. There's things that kind of help you look inside what are the things in my life I lean into out of my brokenness that need to be mended, that fishnet that needs to be mended to catch fish, that bone that needs to be set in order for it to lift weight again, that oftentimes our maturity is stunted because we haven't been mended. And so my, my hope is that there would just be time this week and the next couple weeks, if you just have an honest conversation with the Lord and say, God, are there areas in my life that continue to be, get brought up, continue to be sources of pain in my life or in my relationships or in my workplace um, that I don't seem to really be getting over and then just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what does it look like for you to do do some inner work around that area And the last thing I just want to say is that as we move towards maturity through meekness through the mending and the inner healing it, it leads us not just looking up and looking in it actually moves us out it leads us into this word ministry or service and the very same verse is to equip his people for the works of service so the body of christ may be built up meaning that the gifts god has given you the healing that god wants to do in you isn't just for your own benefit it is for the benefit and the building up of the church for other people who need mending who need building up and so that's, that's the good news of what Christ has done. And this is kind of where it's moving from just being with Christ to becoming someone and doing something. And we were created to, to be a part of this service, this ministry, that word, the Iconia in the Greek. Um, and again, ministry oftentimes, we just think of it as like church work, but um, ministry is any, anything in, in the proper Greek word. Any time you're serving, any time you're like pressing into others, and so for for as you're thinking about that, I just wanted to just give you kind of three spheres to think about. How are you ministering at home? How are you ministering in your community? And how are you ministering in the broader world? I think that if we can ask ourselves that question, and again, it, 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 you, you won't be able to fully do this if you don't look at the first two um, roadmap kind of signs. But once you've started to deal with your own maturity through meekness and mending you can really start to be mobilized into what does it look like to minister but think about that your home your community whether it's your workplace or your neighborhood or your school and then kind of the broader work around the world that God invites us into and so I'm not gonna take a ton of time on these but I wanted just to just pause for each one so at your home um there is a a book called Habits of the House uh where it talks about how you inevitably have different rhythms of your day. And again, Father's Day, let's talk about like just if you have kids, you have a morning routine. Maybe you get them ready for school. Um, you know, and different people are running around and getting clothes and packing lunches and, um, and trying to get out the door. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, it's probably one of the most stressful parts of the day. Um, you have an afternoon routine. Maybe it's kids doing homework and you finishing up emails or, Maybe you have um, dinner, and maybe that's for you, it's you know, ordering doordash or sitting down at a table or going to a friend's house. Um, and then almost all of us have some sort of nighttime routine. And so the idea is when it comes to we were equipped, we were mended for service to serve others. I just, the kind of premise of this book is just to think about, how, how do I take those things that are already happening? And how do I build habits into those spheres that are already taking place, that will add to maturity, add to Christ-likeness? And so that's something I've been thinking about this week and prepping for this for this service is, okay, I wanna, I wanna be a mature follower of Jesus, husband, father, pastor. What are the natural rhythms of my day and how can I become more intentional with those rhythms? And so just a couple practical things that we did. This isn't prescriptive for you, but just to kind of get your own imagination going, we just just made a rule for the summer. No screens before scripture. Like you don't get to open up an iPod, an an iPad, turn on a a movie uh, until you have spent time with Jesus. Super simple, but it's kind of helping set our day. I know for me recently, um, as I've been putting my kids down for bed at night, normally we'll read and I'll pray, and while they're while they're going to bed, a lot of times I'll be like, you know, checking sports scores on my phone or answering an email. And recently I've just felt really prompted by the Holy Spirit just to not have my phone in, in the bedroom as I'm putting the kids to bed. And um, the older I get, the easier it is for me to fall asleep, which is oftentimes why I lean on the crutch of my phone just to keep me awake. But I'm like, I want my kids' memory of me putting them to bed to be without my phone. And so I think that there's, there's, there's different things depending on what, you, what your life stage is because maybe you're not a dad of small children. But just think about how can you position your life towards service and towards others, whether it's for your roommates, whether it's for your coworkers. Uh, you're like I know I'm going to have this interaction every you know, most days of the week. How can I add into this a level of maturity? Next thing is your community, your job. Um, Another amazing book, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller, says a job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to do it for them rather than for yourself. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interest. Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. Our daily work can be a calling only if it is reconceived as God's assignment to serve others. I mean I just love that last line. Our daily work can be a calling only if it is reconceived as God's assignment to serve others. So whatever your your sphere of work is, or if you're a student, something like that, what what you're putting your hands to. What if you were to reimagine that as a calling? Not because, uh, you know, you see great purpose within the cup of coffee that you're making, but you can find great purpose in the cup of coffee that you're giving to a person, and the person that you're serving. And you can find great purpose in the quality of work you're doing around that cup of coffee. You can find great purpose in who you are showing up at your coffee shop. And so it's just rethinking, like, Lord, what is your calling? for this thing you're asking me to do in this season, to be a gift and a service for others. And then just lastly, is um, it's it's quite honestly, it's easy just to think about our family and our workplace. It's so much. But I do, and especially, um, again, for just even the men that you're watching with, I think one of the reasons we're so drawn as a culture to video games is we are actually made for mission. We are made to fight and to solve problems and to accomplish much and to do it with each other and to celebrate victory, there is, and again, this is not like a critique on video games at all, but rather I think it's, it's a shadow that's pointing to a substance. We were made to do something. We were made to be on mission. We were made to serve others. And that will look different than for you than it does for me than it does for our, our other brother. And by the way, this is not just for men but I do want to take a moment to lean into it to say, what is it that God has called you beyond just what's right in front of your face? Is there a, a crisis? Is there a cause? Is there a mission that God is stirring your heart to being a part of the solution and being a part of bringing about the redemption that God has for you? And I think that if we look at that roadmap of maturity, we think about, okay, our, our, our end goal of maturity is the fullness of Christ, that we will get there and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but we will get there through meekness, we will get through through mending, and we will get there through ministry or service. That if we do that, we are now actually exemplifying some of the things that Christ came to do, right? He came in as the epitome of someone who is meek, power under restraint, God himself clothed in human flesh, He was the epitome of someone who was whole, and who was mended, and who lived not not a superhuman life, but a very human life, and attuned to his emotions, aware of his own broken family structures, but chose to live in wholeness. And obviously, he's the epitome of someone who lived a life of service. He gave up his life for you and for me. And when we Want to live into the fullness of Christ's maturity, and we do those three things, it'll help us move into that place. And the last verse I want to leave you with, the last verse of the section says, From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, talking about this matureness of Christ's body, grows and builds itself up in love. And that's that's our motivation and it's our end goal. It's the means and the method that we are moving into that. And so with that, I'm just going to go ahead and pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that uh, what you came to do in, in us and for us, although complete and full, did not leave the job done. Lord, it left us with a journey. It left us with a trajectory that because we have now been saved and redeemed, we now get to start a journey towards Christ-likeness. And so, Lord, I pray that the husbands watching this would love their wives the way Christ loves the church. I pray that for the fathers that are watching this would father their children the way that you father your children. God, I pray for the, those who, who work and study and learn who are entrepreneurs, who are builders, Lord, would operate in the same sort of creative energy as you are as the creator. Lord, I pray that we would mimic you and mirror you in every single way, Lord. And again, we, we clarify, this is not just for the dads, but Lord, this is for the Christian, that all of us would grow into maturity, Lord. And so teach us and help us where to begin and where to start. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.